0: What happens when prosperity seemingly comes knocking at your door, literally wakes you up and gives you an opportunity that previously didn't exist? When Sands Casino announced the introduction of table games like blackjack and poker to their Bethlehem property, they would need trained dealers to man those tables. People saw the chance for a good, steady job, which were in short supply thanks to the Great Recession. To get there, they'd need to complete training and a nerve-wracking audition But to stay there, they need to work long hours, grow a thick skin, and deal with some of the worst human impulses. Would it be worth it? Hello, and welcome to The Gamble, a podcast about the Southsiders who live and work in Bethlehem. I'm today's host, Kevin Kerner. The Gamble is a companion podcast for the upcoming documentary film, Betting on Bethlehem, set for a May 2019 release. In this episode... I'm joined by Casey Keyes. Casey spent about three years as a poker dealer at the Sands Casino Bethlehem after table games were introduced in 2011. In the first part of our discussion, Casey talks about being part of that first class of poker dealers at the Sands and how his training didn't prepare him for that first day when he stepped onto the casino floor.
1: My name is Casey Keyes, and I was born in 1989 in Bangor, Pennsylvania. And uh, my background as it pertains to this, I'd probably just say that I went to Bangor High School and graduated in 2007. I didn't really have um, very many specific interests that I'd want to pursue in, say, college or in industry or anything. Did some community college classes, didn't really do all that well, and then after dropping out, saw that there was going to be uh, dealer, casino dealing courses offered at the same community college that I'd been taking, like academic courses, and... uh, you know, always kind of had like a kind of slight interest in poker from playing it with friends and family members, never had, having played it in a casino or anything. So I thought, and especially considering that it might be, um, you know, a, a sort of good job. It was advertised as being a kind of like a really good job but there's, there's going to be a lot of people playing at the casino. And so I, I went and took the dealer courses and that's how I got into the job.
0: With that sense that this would be a good job, was there a lack of... Uh, or a, a perceived lack of those sorts of opportunities for you?
1: yes, uh, so especially in the slate belt where Bangor is there was uh, the, the area had relied for decades upon the slate industry, and then even before I was born, that had gone belly up. so there really wasn't anything for somebody who wasn't going to go to college or wasn't going to go in a very specific trade, which I, I couldn't really think of anything that I wanted to do and say in, in, in trade wise. An opportunity like that was seen as very uh, good indeed because this was also, I think this was 2009, so it had only been a year since the financial recession of 2008. And the idea was, yeah, that this is a really good opportunity and there aren't really good opportunities like that around. And I think that gets into one of the reasons that people argued for the Sands coming to Bethlehem was that it's going to bring a lot of really good jobs and then here they are. You know, you can go and be a poker dealer or a blackjack dealer. So that was the thinking. Do
0: you think something like that was analogous to an opportunity that Bethlehem Steel may have provided in the '40s, '50s, or '60s to yeah, sub- yeah. residents
1: here. Sure, I think it was. It would be hard to miss that anal- analogy because it was like almost too clear. It's opening right on the former campus of Bethlehem Steel, and uh, you know, I think. Maybe it was you and I who were talking about the fact that there were people who had gone from having been Bethlehem Steel employees when it had closed down to going to work for the Sands some years later. So, yeah, I, I think that a lot of people did look at it like that, that it, you know Bethlehem Steel had been this really good employer of people in the area and then it went away and you know all these jobs went with it. Well, now there's a huge employer and a huge company coming in on the exact same location and it's kind of going to revitalize the area and revitalize the economy for all the reasons that Bethlehem Steel did. To then backtrack a little bit to, you saw that these, these
0: classes were being offered and this was a good job that you thought, Hey, this is a job. It's here. I can get it. How did you, how did you find the classes?
1: So there was an, it was actually kind of funny. My mother woke me up one morning, having found this ad in the newspaper saying, you know, Casey, they they're, they're hiring casino dealers at the Sands. You know, you can take classes at the community college. So my parents agreed to having, you know, just gone through this experience of getting like W's and the C's at community college. They said, look, we'll help you pay for these dealer courses. You can pay us back once you get the job. But this is something that if you're not going to go into you know academia, something like that, get it to get a bachelor's degree, maybe this would be good for you. It'd give you some stability, some security and a sort of high paying kind of job for somebody who didn't have a degree, say. So I, I agreed to do it. And, it, you know, in order to get the classes, I had to, there, it seemed like there was a really big interest in taking these courses. So I had to go to the community college and get myself in line at the registrar's office really like early in the morning when they opened it. And I was even told by the woman at the window that, oh, you know, you're, you're, one, of the, you're one of the few people who's going to get into the first round of poker dealing courses. Thinking back to that
0: day that you, uh, you signed up and the woman at the window said something to the effect of, oh, you'll be one of the few people in the first round. Do you think there was like an exclusivity factor to this as well. Like, did you feel somehow like removed from the classes that would come after you and special in some yeah, way?
1: Sure, uh, we did. And uh, it was kind of driven home to us that we were really lucky to have gotten this opportunity and that, you know, we were being given really good training by, you know, industry professionals and people like that. And our courses had, um, I don't know, say, that necessarily the people who were trained, doing the training, the kind of um, veteran dealers and floor supervisors who they brought in, really anticipated the level of interest because it seemed obvious that they had way more people applying to take the courses and interested in doing this than they had room for. So they started uh, offering more courses and, you know, starting them at, you know, they staggered it a bit so that we were in the first wave and then there would be a second wave that started a couple of weeks after us and stuff. And... Um, yeah, definitely. The whole time there was, there was also the insinuation going through the training that not everyone in the course would be hired that, you know, you weren't guaranteed just because you were in the course that you were going to get the job that you had to do an audition. Actually, they used the term audition. Um, and this is how they would do it. If you already had experience, uh, and you didn't need to take the course, you would come and you'd have to do an audition to be hired. So for us in poker, they made it so that there was a, it broke down. So that it was, I think I want to say mostly veteran poker dealers and then about. 25 to maybe 40 percent of us came from the classes themselves. Mm -hmm. So there it wasn't everybody wasn't brand new. And I think that was probably for the best just to keep the room, the poker room functioning. I mean, all of us were just so bad at dealing (laughs) poker on our first cup for the first couple months that you can see why they wanted to keep it kind of heavily veteran with as far as the dealing experience goes.
0: What was that audition like? Was it nerve nerve-wracking? Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. well, see the the problem with dealing poker, and I suppose with any kind of job like that is that it's very, you know about your hand skills and your coordination. So if you're nervous as you know one, <laughs> one would naturally be in the situation, you know, you'll shake a bit and and you have to do these kind of kind of fine hand movements where you pitch the cards and and most poker players will put up a hand on the table so that you' if you pitch the card to them, it'll fly right in under the like the heel of their palm. And so, you know, the guy who's auditioning you and his other supervisors are sitting there doing that. So, you know, you're thinking, oh, man, I better make sure I get these cards right where they want them. Don't expose any cards on the deal. You know, you put out the flop because we would play almost 95 percent of the games we dealt were Texas Hold'em and at various limits. And uh, so you'd put out the flop and that had to look very clear and straight. And then, you know, just a lot of really technical little things that you have to keep in mind while you run the game and while you make sure that everybody's following the rules and while you're keeping track of the amounts that are being bet and making sure that, you know, the the hand is running smoothly. This is a very kind of involved process. You get really used to it and internalize it quickly, but when you're auditioning for it and you know that there's a job riding on that performance, it's, it's very nerve-wracking. But I passed the audition um, and got the job, and then uh, we would occasionally be asked after we had been hired to sit in on auditions and just, you know, play a hand for somebody who's auditioning. And so you, you got the sense, you got to see how other people's training prepared them. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but you, you, you occasionally see somebody who just really blew the interview or blew the audition, somebody who maybe their nerves got the better of them or they, uh-huh. they weren't as well prepared as they thought. But yeah, it was kind of a, um, it was kind of tricky. It, you know, you, you really had to be on the, on top of it to get through the audition and especially to have gotten through the course and then audition and then None of it prepared you for actually dealing, I should say.
0: What was that like when you when you first got on the floor your first day?
1: Unforgettable. Uh you, you know, we had spent weeks practicing in the sands before table games had been approved to actually go forth. So the Sands, as you know well know, had been there for a couple of years with only slots. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, the impression that I got from spending some time in there and training, I had never really gone in there before because I only turned 21, the, you know, maybe within the same couple of weeks that I got hired. This was in the summer of 2010. So we would train in there at the poker tables and it would just be us. It would just be, you know, one of us would be dealing and then it would be all poker dealers sitting around the table. And it was really fun and friendly and nobody really was stressed out or anything. It was just kind of playing cards and learning little by little as you dealt how to do it. Mm -hmm. On the first day that they went live with table games, first of all, pulling into the parking lot, it was impossible to find anywhere to park. I mean, it was absolutely mobbed with people. So I I knew immediately I was in for an interesting day. And so we get into the back of the house and we're all getting ready to go out for our shift. And there was an older guy who had been a, a poker dealer on a riverboat in Louisiana. His name was KC, which was he and I would get each other confused the management would confuse he and i all the time but um he 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 quoted this line from i think it was like some old detective show where it was about we were all about to go out and say everybody be safe out there and i just thought to myself why would we need to be safe right and then i walked out there and saw what he meant the place was just absolutely packed I mean, it was unbelievably packed you wouldn't think that it was even like legal to have this many people jammed in a building and then i saw the poker room and i saw what it looked like with 10 actual real poker players seated around it and they were all kind of the dealer was seated like right in the middle of all this you know he's he's kind of got 10 people emanating out from his sides and around in front of him and i just thought oh my god you know i that's like being dropped into an octopus tank but <laughs> <laughs> They're just gonna be they're staring at your every move they're obsessed with these these little hand mov- movements that i don't really have down at, at this point i mean i've been training for weeks on end but it's just like I said, there's really nothing that prepares you for the stress of having to deal with real money, and real people who are very, very upset about what's happening to their money. So of course, as a as a new dealer, I, I you you would do what was called tapping into your table. So you go up to the dealer who's already there, mm-hmm. you tap into your your first table, and uh, when you sit down, you have to clap your hands and then show the 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 backs of your hands and, and your palms have to be shown upright to the cameras to show that you're not sitting down with anything in your hands and, and that you don't have anything, say, like to put up your sleeves, I suppose. This little gesture became so second nature that even after even like a year or two after I quit, if I picked up a soda and put it back down, I'd clear my hands for, <laughs> for the heavens. But just sitting down into that first table and looking around and introducing myself and just... Seeing these kind of stressed out and like wound up people looking back at me like yeah, let's get moving I, I just knew that oh my God, you know i'm not I'm really not prepared as as well as I'd like to be, and it took me i'd say about a year to really get comfortable dealing I mean I've made a lot of mistakes, and I do remember people getting really angry and like swearing at me and, and squaring to each other about oh, these dealers look at their f- dealers suck can you believe this and 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 you can hear it and it's just It's nerve-wracking, yeah, and and that first day did not end after eight hours. I I tried to leave after my eight hours, and my boss told me, what are you, nuts? go back to your next table, and I ended up there for at least, I think, 12, 13 hours that night, which was pretty typical.
0: And then did you come back the next day and do the same thing?
1: Yep. I came back for the next at least 14 days without a break. Uh, We were very understaffed. That was one of the things that I was really surprised by because of how much interest there was in doing the job and how many people applied it it never occurred to me that they would not hire enough people to run the poker room in kind of manageable shifts. What they ended up doing was hiring, I think, about 60 of us to run 12 tables 24 hours a day. And this would break down so that, you know, on average, a, a poker dealer should deal maybe like, for an hour or two, so that would come out to maybe two to four tables before their break, mm-hmm. and then they'd break for thirty minutes, and then come back and tap back into it. They would call this a string. Your string would be a, the amount of tables you dealt before you got a break. So we had we were we were doing six table strings, which meant three hours straight of dealing before you got a break, and that meant that if you needed the bathroom, if you needed water, if you needed anything like like that, you'd have to call a supervisor, have them arrange for somebody who was already on break or running chips. <laughs> To tap in and take your place while you went and you know took care of whatever it is you needed to do. So, so was, just
0: you were kind of discouraged from doing that based on well, I wouldn't want somebody to pull me off my break for this,
1: right? Right, exactly. So you knew that if you say needed the bathroom or something, that you would be cutting into somebody else's break. And then it, suppose you 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 had have the opportunity if you really needed it, say for instance while you were between tables to explain that to your boss, you know, I need to use the bathroom quickly and run and do that. But then that would hold up the string, so. The breaks we got were 30 minutes long. So if you're at the end of the six table string, you need to the person taps into this to the first table at say on the hour. Now they can't replace that dealer until the hand that's in progress is over. Mm-hmm. So that could take however long a hand can take. I mean, it might be right at the beginning, it might be right at the end, it could be anything. And then this process repeats itself all the way down the line, which means that by the time this is done five times and it gets to you on the end, it maybe 15 minutes into your break so your break has already been brought down maybe by half if not you know 10 to 15 minutes by that process alone so really not a lot of break time
0: so once you got um a little more comfortable there after about a year or so did you still feel like this was a good job that it was that you had job security
1: i always felt like i made a lot of money for what i did because like i i think in our other conversation i talked about how no matter what you were doing you were really always expected to make and you did really expect to make about a dollar a hand so a, a good poker dealer
0: is that a dollar per player per
1: hand the the winner would okay. of, of the hand would would be the person who i guess you. that makes sense yeah. somebody who
0: somebody who goes bust or folds uh pre-flop isn't gonna tip you a dollar
1: not really although i i had on more than one occasion somebody who uh say two people with like Almost equal stacks of chips go in against each other, and then the person who loses is left with like four or five chips. I've had those thrown to me in contempt. <laughs> I'll take them but uh yeah, you know a dollar is about the minimum that's the smallest chip that's in place so you know you would get a lot of those but you'd also have people who were I, I would think extremely generous I mean some really really nice people I mean I, I like to talk about you know, all the bad things that happened to me at the sands and mm-hmm. you know, those are kind of interesting but there were people who you know really were generous as tippers and really you know, never gave you any kind of arbitrary hard times and understood that you had to enforce rules that maybe they didn't like. So they made it a lot easier. And, uh, at the end of the day, you know, we were taking home, especially in those early days with the amount of hours we were working, it would have been more if I was more competent and fast, (laughs) but even I was making like two to $300 a day and working like two weeks straight. So you can do the math and it came out to a lot of money. So I had a, you know, at 21, I had a really beautiful apartment and an historic building in Bethlehem. I had everything I wanted. I ate all my meals in restaurants. And it was, it was a really nice couple years, but you could see as they hired more people and as more and more people who were playing cards lost money, you could, and as more casinos opened up in, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, you could see that you were losing hours and losing money. Cause I, I've mentioned before that, you know, the Sands paid us a base wage of say I think I started around 375 an hour. It was like a, a waiter or a waitress would make. Mm-hmm. And that got up, to, I think maybe to five and change by the time I left. But um, that you know the tips were really just everything. I mean, without the tips you were looking at, you know, they would compensate you on a day say like on Christmas Day, this is an interesting kind of anecdote. Under no circumstances could you have off on Christmas. If you called out sick on Christmas, they gave you an automatic, like, nine disciplinary points that put you within one point of losing your job. So they were really pedantic about nobody's going to get this day off, which was funny, unless it was your already scheduled day off. But nobody showed up to play cards on Christmas. So it was like every dealer who works there is there standing around, but, you know, most people are with their families on Christmas. There are some people who don't celebrate Christmas who treated it like any other day, but you really that was only maybe one or two tables. So you know, on days like that, they would give you minimum wage. So if you didn't make enough to make minimum wage on that day, your base rate would be converted into the minimum wage. So it was 5.15 or something at the time. I think it may be at that time. It might've been, or it was like seven and a quarter. I think it is now. I don't know, but it was, it was really negligible and it was laughable. There was no way that you were going to, I mean, as a dealer, you understood that it was the players who were kind of paying you. Were, to survive. And that without them, the Sands was really only good for the base wage, and which is nothing.
0: So thinking back to what you were saying about you were 21 and you had a great apartment and you ate all your meals in restaurants, uh, did you start making plans for the future based on what your income was at that
1: time? I didn't because I I, I kind of felt like you know, being that I didn't like the job. I mean, I, I, I kind of set myself apart from a lot of my coworkers in that I never really was very happy doing that job. A lot of the people that I worked with were. They thought that this was the best job they'd ever had. For me, it was one of the first jobs I've ever had. In fact, it was really like the first official full-time job that I had ever had. So to me, I, I, I maybe just from lack of context always thought that I could probably find something better than this, that that this is... um. It, it pays well, but it really doesn't not make me happy at all. And that was the thing is that it was you know, kind of a lot of people like, I wouldn't you know like people giving you a hard time. The hours were kind of long. The, the job itself is monotonous. So I didn't really think in the long term about buying a house or about basing any you know taking out loans on the basis of you know this income. I knew people who did. I knew people my own age who married and bought homes with mortgages based on their job at the Sands. And I I had people describe this to me, the job to me, as maybe the best opportunity they'd ever had. And there there was a woman, for instance, who had been a player. Everybody really liked her. She was a really nice lady and a good tipper and really, you know, always treated you fairly. Mm -hmm. And, she expressed interest in working there as a dealer. And she eventually got that job. She eventually went and took the classes and then you know went from playing at the tables to dealing. And, and she told me that she couldn't stand to hear people like myself complain about this job because she said, you know, I've done so many jobs and I've lost so many jobs and, and I've never had a job where I just got to sit down and, and sit with a group of people who were having fun and play cards and get paid to do it. So there were definitely two ways of looking at the job. I, I always took the more, you know, this isn't my thing kind of, approach and that i'm only doing it for money whereas there were some people who really thought there was a lifestyle aspect to it that they really enjoyed and really cherished the opportunity i would say that's
0: the first half of my discussion with casey keys a former poker dealer at sands casino in bethlehem join us next time when casey talks about what surprised him most with his new job
1: it really just looked like hell the aesthetic is one of like flames and smoke and red and then all these people around who are like damned and miserable souls
0: <laughs> today's episode of the gamble was produced by me kevin kerner claire silva and jessica mun provided community outreach and support our theme music is by amari who is also producing a full-length soundtrack for our film betting on bethlehem caroline kelleher carrie moffitt and delaney mccaffrey lead our filmmaking team the gamble was recorded at lehigh university in bethlehem pennsylvania Want to find out more about the film? Follow us on social media. Search for the handle at BetOnBethlehem. Thanks for listening.